Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about uh, a just a huge headline that is the death of Khashoggi, who is, well, I'll let you come into Keith in just a moment, but this has been a shocking, shocking development in Turkey inside the Saudi Arabian consulate, uh, where allegedly this man, he's a journalist, a Saudi Arabian journalist, was brutally murdered by the Saudi Arabian regime, and then his body was disposed of. And then, of course, it came to light around the world, but they have denied it ever since. Uh, But now, because of an audio recording, they've had to sort of make some sort of admissions. Anyway, it's thrown chaos into the relationship between the US and Saudi, which has generally been pretty good, and it's a very economic relationship. Uh, Everyone in the world weighed in on this. Keith, this is pretty bad for the Saudi regime. It is pretty bad. So we're talking about Jamal Khashoggi. So he's a journalist, um, was based in Saudi Arabia, um, friend of the regime at one point, fled the country in 2017, was resident mainly in the United States. So this is a guy who writes for the Washington Post, he's on the, was on the BBC and, you know, a, quite a neutral commentator, not calling for revolution in Saudi Arabia, but critical of some of the things that have gone on within Saudi Arabia. So he wanted to marry a Turkish woman. And for that, he had to go to the Saudi embassy in Turkey or the high commission, uh, the uh, consulate uh, in uh, Istanbul to get documents. So, he, he is seen on film walking into the consulate. He is not seen coming out. What One of the things we've seen recently has been that a person wearing his clothes but not his shoes is seen walking out. A very bad job because Khashoggi was going bald. The guy who's imitating him has got a good head of hair. <laughs> so very badly done. You know, Trump's comment, and I agree with him, is that this is a lousy operation. If you're going to kill someone, do it far more efficiently. So you have to ask yourself, why has it been done so badly? And I think partly because, and there's a great BBC short documentary, looking at the number of critics of uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the young crown prince, the 33-year-old, who's the effective ruler of Saudi Arabia, A number of these critics have disappeared uh, on the BBC documentary made a year ago. There's uh, film footage on a um, mobile phone taken in Kensington. So we're talking about the the high-end London real estate market. This guy is getting beaten up by a group of Arabs from Saudi Arabia. Um, When people run to his rescue, um, they said, you can't do this in England. And they said, well, we run your queen. And the, and they made derogatory comments about the, the British police. They just simply said, go away while we beat him up. Luckily, the guy didn't die in Kensington and is interviewed on the BBC documentary. But the whole BBC documentary has gone through a whole number of other people who have been abducted. So Mohammed bin Salman obviously expected an easy operation with this one as well. After all, nobody's been fussed about what's going on before, why suddenly get worried about this journalist when you haven't complained about the behaviour that we've had towards some of the Crown Princes and and the the guy who got beaten up in London, the West End of London, was actually a comedian, a Saudi comedian, a satirist. So what is interesting this time round 
is all of this uh, is captured now on um, CCTV, closed circuit TV. So we see the guy going in. We don't see him coming out. Uh, so all the people who killed him have been caught on this same film footage, which, as, as Trump says, this is a stupid operation. It's a very bad way of doing things. So why have we drawn the line at Khashoggi? I think um, because uh, he w- wrote for the Washington Post and the Washington Post is a CIA's favourite outlet for media news. So CIA are saying you have now killed one of our favourite journalists, therefore CIA have been quite happy to keep the whole thing ticking over. Plus the fact that he's killing a journalist. And so the media, being very incestuous, have a great interest in that. Now, what Trump is hoping for is that given the 24-7 media cycle, that the whole thing will eventually just die out. That's what he's hoping for. Um, but clearly this has really galvanised international opinion. Yeah, it really has. And you, and you you look at the rhetoric at the very beginning when Trump uh, reacted. He was obviously protecting the relationship that he had with Saudi Arabia and the amount of money that's exchanged between the two countries because the rhetoric between then and then the aftermath has been very, very different and then seeing all the big, the countries come out and condemn this, the, the joint reaction from Britain, from Germany and from France yeah. together, really strongly worded statement. Um, let's talk, though, quickly about um, this Saudi crown prince because... He's quite a character on his own, isn't he? He's come to, he's risen very quickly to power, and he's a bit of a force of nature. He is. So he's age thirty-three. So he's the youngest defence minister in the world. Um, so let just say, say something about Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia is an absolute monarchy. There are very few in the world. The Vatican, by the way, is another one in that same category. Absolute monarchy. Um, but there is no clear line of succession. It has to stay within the Saud family. Um, but there are a variety within that ruling dynasty. Overall, the ruling dynasty consists of about 50,000 people. Um, The men are not sure about how many children they've got, so we're not quite (laughs) sure the exact number of their dynasty. What do you think, though? Osama bin Laden was, what, one of 20-odd children? Um, oh, my God, there's poor women. Those poor women. Well, it's obviously not the same woman having 20 children. You have multiple wives who generate multiple children. Um, can't so keep track. Can't keep track, exactly. So you end up then with this ruling elite, about 50,000. Um, and so you have jockeying for power. And the current king, King Salman, has got dementia. And uh, at some point along the way, in 2017, he made this young fellow, Mohammed bin Salman, one of his sons, uh, the crown prince. And they call him MBH? MBS. MBS, whoops. Mohammed (laughs) bin Salman, MBS. Um, And so he um, is certainly a a wheeler dealer. When he came effectively to power as crown prince, he then started to introduce reforms, uh, allowing women to drive cars in Saudi Arabia, A major source of, you know, we talk about Saudi Arabia's population, about 25 million. Even there, they're summed up because we don't know how many guest workers they've got. So they they bring in maids from the Philippines. Um, Overall, maids from the Philippines working in the Gulf area overall, Saudi plus all the other states, are a major source of income for the Philippines. So for they send the money home. They get treated appallingly by the Arabs, but... They make money and they send the money home back to the Philippines. So that's a major source of of revenue 
for the Philippines, this money that gets remitted home. One of the reasons why you have people in Saudi Arabia is to be able to drive women around. So remember, there's, you've got a lot of women, a lot of cars, but they can't drive or could not drive. And so you therefore needed male chauffeurs to drive them from A to B. Hence this floating million or so chauffeurs that they may have <laughs> looking after all these uh, women who can't drive, as well as, of course, people you know working in the home, etc. So he was seen originally as being a reformer um, and someone who was going to bring the uh, Saudi Arabia into the 20th or 21st century. However, he's very thin-skinned and doesn't like any criticism and has had a a very smooth run in the Western media because he is seen, you know, he's made these cosmetic changes, allowing women to drive, although some of them are still getting imprisoned. It's interesting because you've got to bear in mind that the founding of Saudi Arabia came about as a deal between the Saud family and the Wahhabi faction of Islam, right? So Islam has a variety. We, we talk about the Sunni and the Shia. We need to explore all this, I think, in more detail at some point. But within the Sunni community, which is the larger of the two broad communities, you have the streak of very strict Islam, the Wahhabi strand, which comes out of Saudi Arabia. And Osama bin Laden, for example, was a Wahhabi person. So you've got this very strict um, Islamic tendency within Saudi Arabia, who therefore do not approve of women getting an education, do not approve of them driving cars, etc. So the new prince has had to introduce reforms, but not sufficient to end up offending the moral police, as they're called, who check that people are not holding hands or kissing in public or any of this sort of stuff. Um, and so he is maintaining this del delicate balancing act. And originally the Western media was sympathetic to him and he thought, well, okay, if everyone's going to be sympathetic to me, I will deal with the critics. And so he has been dealing with the critics who are saying you're not doing enough. Um, or, you know, you, you, you're not opening the country up fully. Um, and so that's why he's had this dream run and he's been getting rid of his opponents one way or another or his presumed opponents and getting away with it. And then suddenly Jamal Khashoggi, this um, critic, this journalist linked with the Western media, gets brutally killed and suddenly everybody is up in arms. And the poor old Mohammed bin Salman is saying, oh, why are you picking on me now? I've been doing this for over a year. <laughs> so he Why rings, this one? Why this one? So he rings Jared Kushner, right, the pr President Trump's son-in-law, and says, what the hell's going on? Why are you guys getting so fussed about this? This is why, and so you end up with Trump and his tweets. It's very interesting how Trump has been playing a very careful game because he knows that um, he, he cannot afford to offend the deep state in the United States. And Jamal and Jamal Khashoggi works for the Washington Post as part of the deep state. So Trump has played a very even-handed role. But quickly, doesn't he talk about the intelligence agencies with disdain, Trump? Exactly, yeah, but, it, but he knows quite well they're going to bring him down. You know, all of the, you know, we've suddenly had this huge cache of documents relating to his finances. Where did they come from? They're all summarised in the New York Times, which is another outlet, by the way, for the deep state. So Trump knows that he's got to be very careful. He's, he's not an absolute ruler in the United States because he's juggling power as well. So Gerald Kushner gets this call from MBS saying, well, why are you guys fussing? You know, you haven't stopped this in the past. What is also intriguing, I think, is with 
um, the way in which Trump has behaved, I think is, is it's refreshing. The guy's honest, right? So in the past, we've had George Bush who's talking about democracy and liberty. You know, we invade Iraq to bring democracy. That was a disaster. Then you end up with um, uh, Barack Obama who also talks about, remember, democracy and all the rest of it. Another failure. Trump doesn't bother with this. Trump says, I'm here to do a deal with Saudi Arabia. There are jobs involved. I'm not going to jeopardise jobs because somebody gets killed. So it's a really honest approach. You know, he says, I'm, I'm, I can be bought, right? It's all transactional. You never hear Trump talk about human rights, democracy, liberty. He's honest. He's here for the money. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. <laughs> That's why I find this very refreshing after putting up with all these years of, of this visionary gloss from Obama, which was a waste of time, and the same, of course, with George Bush, who got us bogged down in the wars in the Middle East. Trump is simply here saying, I'm here for the money <laughs> and we're not going to jeopardise our arms contracts with Saudi Arabia. They're a good customer. <laughs> It's so true, but kind of sickening at the same time that it is all about money. I mean, this poor bloke, from all accounts, was so brutally murdered. And you can imagine the way they did it, flying 15 people in to to carry it out. And, 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 uh, of course, Saudi Arabia has come up with numerous explanations as to what went wrong, namely that he had got out all right and they had the film footage, but, of course, that was a decoy. Uh, Then they said he was involved in a fight. Uh, So... They keep changing the story. This is why Trump is so angry. Just to with tell the, the truth. You, you guys have made a terrible mistake. This is a terrible way of killing somebody. And especially with the world watching. And it's like a spy movie. <laughs> exactly. Like, of course, people are going to love this plot. It's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking today about the Khashoggi. I keep stuffing up his name. How do you say it? Well, Jamal Khashoggi. Okay, see, I've heard a few different variations. Yeah, it's, a, but, yeah, it's no, an Arabic name, yeah. Who um, was killed inside the Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey. This has been a huge, huge story, and it's just been getting more and more interesting, really. It's just captivated the world. It's like exactly when, when the Russians poisoned Scribble last year. Same exactly, sort of interest with this. So we're going to talk, though, more broadly right now about the Saudi Arabian-American relationship, overarching relationship, because for a country that is pretty much, when you look at it, really, one of the most backward in the world in terms of reform, and like not even letting women drive until recently, um, really, it's back 500 years, it seems, they have a very good relationship, generally speaking, with America. And it was one of the first places that Trump went to visit Keith when he got into power. So how symbolic is that? Very symbolic. Um, America was never involved in the Middle East before World War II. They had people exploring for oil, along with other, the French and the British. They were the two major powers controlling the Middle East um, after the, the destruction of the Ottoman Empire, which occurred in World War I, in which, of course, Australians were heavily involved. Um, then the, the Middle East is, is uh, well, the, the Western part of the Middle East that we refer to as the Middle East. That then went under the control of the British and the French. Um, and so the Americans were not involved in this, although they did have people looking for oil. And, of course, they found the, the biggest oil field in the world, remains the biggest oil field, and that's in Saudi Arabia. So at the end of World War II, one of the last acts of President Roosevelt uh, was to actually have a, a meeting, not well-publicised meeting, with the King of Saudi Arabia. So when he had been involved in negotiations at the end of World War II, he, his ship then took him down uh, 
to the Bitter Lakes in, in the Middle East and met with the King of Saudi Arabia. It wasn't a secret meeting, but it's not one that's been well publicised. So I give talks at oil conferences and people are surprised to hear about this bit of history. President Roosevelt said, look, we, to Saudi Arabia, we will protect you, but you've got to supply us with oil. And that is the beginning of the special relationship. It begins in 1945, and a whole new chapter in history is opened up as a result of that meeting. So the deal is that the Americans protect Saudi Arabia, therefore you don't criticise Saudi Arabia. You know, you might end up with feminists complaining about the treatment of women, etc. but they're not going to get much endorsement from other governments because the Americans are looking after them. And, the, and, of course, on the other side, being a major supplier of oil in a world that relies, now runs on oil, Saudi Arabia is very important. So that is the relationship. And um, President Trump, as soon as he comes to office in effect, reaffirms that traditional relationship. So it means, therefore, that the Americans look after Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia supplies oil to the Americans. Now, this means that you have to turn a blind eye to things that Saudi Arabia does. The most obvious thing is 9-11 in 2001, when of the 19 hijackers, 15 came from Saudi Arabia. And, of course, it's been alleged that um, immediately after the 9-11 terrorist attack, uh, especially when all the planes in America were grounded, Saudis were allowed to flee the United States, to get out of the United States. So all part of that special deal that has gone on. It's an amazing situation. Now, when Trump was in the Middle East uh, on his uh, trip, he linked the United States very closely with Saudi Arabia as distinct from Iran. So here we're dealing with a, a the Sunni-Shia split. So the Saudi Arabia sees itself as the leader of the Sunni community. Iran sees itself as the leader of the Shia community. So this is a civil war that's gone on for centuries. Um, and they, the war rises and falls from time to time. At the moment, we see Iran and Saudi Arabia fighting each other in Lebanon. We see them fighting each other in Yemen. So there's a whole separate discussion which we need to have trying to make sense of what's going on there. But as far as Trump is concerned, Trump reaffirmed the special relationship with Saudi Arabia because there were a lot of people who were in 2016 listening to Trump sounding as though he was an isolationist, was just going to get America out of all of these foreign commitments, bring the troops home. In other words, just get out of the Middle mm. East, particularly now that the United States is not so reliant on Saudi oil. This is the mystery for us. The Americans get as much oil out of West Africa as they do from Saudi Arabia. Really? Yes, I was involved with a project in London and we're, we're now finding oil on the west coast of Africa. So why do they care so much about Exactly. Yeah. And, of course, they're also a major oil producer themselves. At one point, they were um, uh, the main exporter of oil in the world. Then they became the major import. I'm talking about the whole of the 20th century. Um, and then, of course, they decided to introduce fracking uh, as a way of getting uh, oil and natural gas out of the, the ground. Um, and they are now a supplier to the international market. So the question could be asked, why, therefore, is Trump linked into Saudi Arabia? Because there are a lot of people in 2016 who thought that Trump was going to withdraw from all of these overseas commitments, you know, including getting bogged down in Iraq and Syria, obviously Afghanistan. Um, and so America doesn't need Saudi Arabia so much and yet somehow he has remained committed to Saudi Arabia. 
Interesting, isn't it? It's wondering, I wonder whether Saudi Arabia would prefer the relationship more than America does so they keep dangling carrots like, you know, they've got so much money so maybe they, you know, with this arms deal that's going on. That's exactly it. So it's really, as, as Trump would say, I'm not going to jeopardise jobs because of a few political assassinations. Bit of a dodgy country, Saudi Arabia, aren't they? Absolutely. Ooh. <laughs> Watch this space. Plenty more to come on this one, no doubt. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.